Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, host and moderator of Long in the Tooth. This is a podcast primarily for late career dentists who are interested in doing a great job with their practices currently and also in planning for a transition of their practices to new ownership in the future. Our vision for the podcast is to be an educational format, not salesy at all. If you have been directed to join this podcast by a member of the dental industry in the United States, please thank them. This is going to benefit you. These are educational presentations that will hopefully help your profitability, your peace of mind, and your planning for the future as you are considering transitioning your practice to new ownership. You're on the Long in the Tooth podcast. This is host Bob Brooks, and we're happy to once again have Ben Tunay with Veritas Dental Resources with us. And Ben, I think the first time you and I connected was uh, I had written an article that was published in Dental Economics, and you were in the Mm -hmm. same issue, and uh, we ended up connecting. And as I recall, you had something like 200-some calls as a result of your article, so I know your, uh, your topic is of great interest to uh, a lot of dentists throughout the country, and we're, we're very happy to have you with us today. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, um, I love the Dental Economics Organization and for the opportunity that they allow people like you and myself, more so me, you know, you, you have a lot more experience than I do, Bob, <laughs> but it's fun reading your articles when they do come up as well. Well, thank you. Well, our topic for today is retaining PP agreements and dropping PPOs. So our first question would be, as, as a practice owner gets closer to retirement, what should their PPO strategy include? Should they be dropping dental plans? Should they be maintaining dental plans? What, sh- what should they be thinking about, Ben? That's a good question. I, I think the answer to that question depends on the type of buyer that they're looking for, you know, and it seems like in this day and age, um, uh, there, there, there are different mindsets among buyers. You know, there are some buyers um, that prefer to purchase a practice that has a diverse PPO list of PPOs. In fact, we deal with a lot of clients that get frustrated and anxious if an insurance plan doesn't approve them quickly, even though that client is getting paid 40% more out of network than in network on the insurance payment portion. They get anxious about being out of network for a prolonged period of time, which, you know, which, which is kind of frustrating because it's like, really, you, you'd rather you'd rather have lost forty percent in network. So it's a mindset thing. You have you have those uh, client doctors that have that in network. I have to be in network. But then then again, you have other buyers, and I think more and more buyers are kind of leaning more towards this mentality, which is, I'm going to look at a practice that has minimal PPO participation and a practice that that operates well, one where I can step in and perform well and wow the the patient base uh, in an effort to retain these patients but not allow insurance carriers to run my life and tell me what I can get paid for procedures. Um, So as a seller, what we usually see is a lot of sellers are either beefing up PPO participation to cater to the PPO mindset buyers uh, but I'm seeing more and more sellers actually reducing PPO participation in an effort to increase the numbers. You know, they have a few years left to practice and they want to maximize that. 
So they drop these PPO plans in an effort to help themselves make more money, but at the same time, making the practice look more attractive in the sense that, you know, when a buyer approaches them, say, yeah, I participate with no insurance plans, but look how many patients I have and look how much money I'm making. Look at my overhead has reduced significantly down from 60% down to 40%. I haven't fired anybody, you know, everybody's still here, but the reason why those numbers change is simply because I'm, I'm, I'm collecting a lot more for my patients as an out-of-network or a non-participating provider. And I think the valuation of those practices increased significantly, or they increased some, you know, compared to practices that have much higher write-off uh, numbers, you know. Um, but, but in the end, in, in, in getting referrals from the banks for, for doctors looking to buy practices, it looks like most of the people that call me, most of the buyers or potential buyers, they're looking for, for practices that are less dependent on insurance. So I guess that's my advice is to, to, to lean more towards that, that area is try to get a, a, a professional assistance on, on removing plans. And if you do remove plans, the goal is, how can I do so in such a way that'll actually increase my bottom line? You know, increase my day-to-day -day income for the remaining years that I have left in practice. You know, Bob, I have friends that play in the NFL, and it's it's interesting that the average career in the NFL is three years, right? So the average player goes into the NFL thinking, I need to maximize my contracts for whatever years I get to play. And, and this is why you use, usually see holdouts. I'm not going to step on that field unless I get the contract that I know that I deserve. You know, and, and, and they do that because there's a shelf life to playing in the NFL. And if you don't make, you maximize your income during whatever years you're fortunate to play, I mean, you're just, you're just losing out on opportunity. And, and, and I like to view a career in the same way, no matter what it is, is we all have a shelf life. And, and when you look at the remaining years of your practice, to me, if I were a dentist and owned a practice, I would be finding ways to go out of network in an effort to raise my income for every procedure um, and, and get really, really good advice on how to navigate those waters in a way where you're retaining patients, at least the majority of them, but also increasing your practice revenue by 40, 50, and sometimes 60% just by, by navigating these out-of-network waters with insurance. That's the model that I believe is successful for the future. Well, you shared some of the positive aspects of uh, dropping some dental plans, but what might the negative side effects of dropping some plans be? Good question. Um, well, if, you, if you're participating with Medicaid that has no out-of-network benefits, or if you have an HMO contract, again, with no out-of-network benefits, that's where the negative occurs, is where when you drop a plan, you have no choice but to lose those patients. Um, and, you know, if it's a Medicaid contract that you have, you know, you're earning $250,000 a year, you have to factor that into your decision, you know, um, because you go out of network, then you lose that $250,000 in revenue, you know. But if your practice is strictly a PPO practice, some of the negatives in dropping a PPO plan uh, are assignment of benefit, meaning is the insurance plan going to continue to pay you directly or are they going to turn around and send the checks to the patient, you know? And you have to plan ahead on how you're going to deal with that. And I will warn everybody out there that wants to drop insurances is that Delta Dental and Blue Cross in most states, they do not accept assignment of benefit if you are out of network. They don't, they don't even share patient information with you if you're out of network. And so th those are the negatives in dropping. But again, 
there are solutions to mitigate those issues to make it still make them work. We already touched a little bit on the positive effects of dropping insurance plans. Uh, I know in uh, working with a lot of uh, practice buyers and sellers that, uh, you know, just as you said, that there's generally more demand for practices that are more fee for service and, and have fewer plans. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add as far as positive effects of dropping insurance plans, Ben? Yes, I would love to. <laughs> so I have this uh, chart printed above my my uh, right monitor, and um, this is uh, this is from my good friend Gary Takas. He he was uh, instrumental in introducing this Kodak study to the dental industry, and the Kodak study essentially was performed back in the 1980s by the Kodak organization. And they wanted to um, assess their numbers and, and look at different possibilities. You know, as competition started to increase, Kodak was worried what their future was going to look like. So they needed to create a plan in terms of adjusting pricing, um, reducing manufacturing costs and so forth. Uh, but the long and short of that study, as it relates to dentistry, what it says is that if I increase my fees by 20%, I can... I can survive, I can maintain the same profit level on 55.5% of the of my patients, meaning wow. I can lose 45% of my patients. And as long as I'm earning 20% more, I, my profit margins stay the same. That's amazing. Now that's the worst case scenario, Bob. Like if you drop insurances, are you gonna lose 50% if it's a PPO practice? And the answer is no. Like I've never seen a practice lose 40, I've never seen anybody lose more than 25% of their patients if they go out of network. But the objective in going out of network with a dental plan is to not lose any more than 10%. If you go beyond 10%, that's fine. You have up to 45% to lose, probably more, because keep in mind, when you drop insurances, you're not earning 20% more, <laughs> you're earning 50% more mostly, you know? Right. So your, your, your real risk in a situation like that is that you could probably lose 60% of your patients and still maintain the same take-home money that you were earning seeing 100% of the patients and being way busier, you know? So, so the positive as aspects of joining PPO plans is that if it's a PPO, the numbers are on your side. Without training, you're looking at roughly a 30 to 40% patient attrition. With training, you're looking at roughly a 10 to 20% patient attrition, but 10 to 20% patient attrition still equals an increase in total revenue for the practice of about 20 to 35%. That's amazing. So, those are the numbers. <laughs> when, when a practice owner drops a dental plan, uh, how can they do that while minimizing patient attrition? Good question. Now, th this is actually where the focus ought to be in terms of dropping insurances is, is understanding the patient communication dynamics. Now, on our podcast, fortunately, we've been really privileged to have some amazing trainers and coaches share feedback with us. And I'm, I, I can't remember the name of the person that initially mentioned this, but I what I want to do is say this, this is not my, <laughs> these are not my words, but she said, replace out of network with unrestricted. You want to keep the explanation to the patient positive in an effort to avoid the knee jerk reaction. When you go out of network patients thinking, oh, I have to go somewhere else, you know, or my costs are going to increase significantly. 
So when we talk to patients, we let them know that, hey, you know, just as a heads up, we are in the process of becoming an unrestricted provider with your insurance plan. What that really means, um, yes, it does mean out of network, but what it truly means is that as an unrestricted provider, the insurance plans that typically engage in so much abuse and, and, and just so much um, of unath- you know, activities that really prohibit and really threaten our ability to maintain the highest quality of care for you, we just can't accept that anymore. You know, And so we're, we're becoming an unrestricted provider in an effort to protect the quality of care for you, our patients. Um, so just, just a heads up about that. Now, I recommend that uh, as you transition to out-of-network, consider still giving the patients a discount. And that could be on a temporary basis. You know, patients love discounts. And the reason why they go in-network is because they're told that they're going to get a discount. And so for many practices, uh, they will still give the patient a discount on their portion of -of out-of-pocket. And this is also a controversial topic because many people say, well, you can't do that. You can't offer patients a discount without giving that discount to the insurance plan. I know of no attorney or no paralegal, and we've done the research on this, I know of no state statute in any state or federal law that says as a non-contracted provider, an out-of-network provider, I have to, uh, I can't give a discount to the patients. In fact, the antitrust laws say the opposite. You know, they support reducing fees and making things more affordable to the patients. The issue with giving patients a discount is when you're in network, because that's what the contract says. If you give a patient a discount, you have to honor the discount to the insurance portion of payment as well. Well, that doesn't apply if you don't have a contract with that particular insurance plan. So, so if you consider giving patients a discount on their portion in an effort to kind of make them feel like they're still going to receive some type of financial benefit. Um, and, and what we find is that the verbiage on the unrestricted component, the quality care component, as well as the discount, it greatly helps with that transition from in-network to out-of-network by reducing patient attrition. Now, the last thing I'll say about that, Bob, is that long-term, you wanna get your patients in the mindset of focusing on quality, focusing on the personal relationship that they have with you and your team members. And simply because if if their mind is so set on insurance, and unfortunately, this is the vast majority of the dental practices out there is that we feel like we have an obligation to give patients or be their insurance liaison, you know, but that's detrimental to the, to the mindset of the patient simply because if the patient is relying on insurance to make their decisions, you know, what's going to happen if they need a set of non-covered services or what's going to happen if the patient needs treatment, necessary treatment, but they've, they've reached their annual maximum. Mm-hmm. You know, are they going to wait next year to get a life-saving procedure? No. You know, so you have to sort of shift that mindset to the clinical quality to the relationship component with the patient long-term to really separate yourself from that whole dependence on insurance that is usually driven for when you're in network, you know? Um, But yeah, that's, that's my recommendation there on reducing patient attrition is just be strategic about how you, um, how you handle the patients from a communication perspective. Okay. Now for uh, practice owners who are, you know, during the time that's leading up to the the transition of their practice to new ownership, is there any value to retaining certain PPO contracts? Yeah, good good question. Um, You know, there are some contracts out there that would likely represent the majority of your patients. Like um, in some states, like the state of Washington, um, sadly, Delta Dental represents 60 to 70% of the existing patients of of 
you know, any given dental practice. And so when you drop a Delta Dental leading up to a practice transition in the state of Washington, if you don't have really good training or, or, or a good plan in place, there is the potential to see a much higher rate of attrition in dropping Delta Dental in a state like Washington. Usually it would be about a 40% rate of patient attrition. Now, I still maintain that 40% is acceptable. As a seller, 40%, if, I, you know, if I'm making 30 to 40% more in revenue off of 60% uh, of my remaining patients, I'm actually ahead, even though I lost 40% of the patients. But to a buyer, that's, that's a little bit of a liability. You know, because they see the downward trend of patients for this particular plan. Now they're going to start to question the actual true value of your practice, you know. So if, if you're going to go out of network with insurances, do it, do it several years before you sell the practice. And that way you can let your, your patient attrition numbers kind of level out. But at the same time, you know, your, your increased revenue and your increased profit numbers, you can prove that to support the value of the practice when you sell it down the road. So if you're gonna drop insurances to, and, and then sell your practice within a year or two, that's not, I don't think that's a good idea with a, with a Delta Dental as an example where there's high risk of patient attrition for a number of reasons. You can drop other insurances like MetLife, Aetna. Um, again, um, the decisions on dropping insurances leading up to a, 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 a selling the practice, I would only drop insurances that paid well out of network benefits as well as they paid, they paid against the, a higher percentile out of network. MetLife, Aetna, Guardian, Principal, Emeritus, you know, most of the, most of the smaller insurance plans, medium-sized insurance plans, those are good candidates to potentially drop a year or two before your transition, simply because what you'll see is minimal patient attrition, far less than what you would see with Delta Dental, but you would see this, this upward trend in revenue. And, and that's very attractive to buyers to see those trending numbers, you know, in an upward fashion, Absolutely. you know, arguably it does, it does increase the attractiveness of the practice. So uh, in short, Bob, just make sure that you do an assessment on what plans to drop and how it would lead to how the, how a buyer would view the value of your practice in terms of the trends of, in, of income and write-offs. I would echo what you had to say, Ben, as far as buyers, because a lot of times buyers and their advisors look at the collection numbers. And mm -hmm. so if there were significant drop-offs in the last three years before a uh, transition, then that's, that's going to raise a red flag, even though many of us in the industry are basing our most probable selling prices on seller's discretionary earnings or EBITDA. Mm -hmm. which is uh, which are income uh, methods to to evaluate a practice practice value. So uh, this leads us to our last and final question of this episode, which are uh, what are the key practice indicators that should be assessed when determining if PPO plans are a good candidate to drop? Good question. So the f the first area is I would look at um, the write-offs, you know, comparing, your fees, your usual and customary fees against the insurance company's allowances or their fees. And when you see those write-offs in the 40% range or more, I would definitely target those plans, circle them and say, okay, next step is we need to find out what the out-of-network benefits are for this particular plan. Uh, and, and do they accept assignment of benefit out-of-network? Now, the last example about Delta Washington, the reason why I bring that up is because there have been some practices that have dropped Delta Dental in Washington. 
And what usually happens when you go out of network in Washington with Delta, the annual maximum goes from $1,500 down to 1,000, sometimes down to 750. And now you have to pay um, 20% for your cleanings or you have to pay your deductible before you're eligible for any dental services. So Delta Dental makes it very difficult for patients to have choices out of network. And as a result, naturally those patients uh, will gripe and complain and they'll start to go elsewhere. And you usually see a much higher patient attrition rate in Washington because of those out of network factors. MetLife on the other hand, in the state of Washington, they pay up to the 80th percentile, Fair Health's 80th percentile. If you're not familiar with, familiar with Fair Health, uh, Google Fair Health and check out their website. But Fair Health controls, or at least they give the appropriate out of network percentiles for most insurance plans. And the nice thing is, is that that 80th percentile is really high. <laughs> so if you're in the state of Washington and the 80th percentile is, is uh, $1,500 for a porcelain all ceramic crown and MetLife covers 15% of that, uh, excuse me, 50%, that 50% payment out of network is almost the entire in-network allowance, you know? And so you could arguably almost double your income, even if you give the patient a discount on their portion of payment out of pocket, again, out of network, um, you know, I would target those plans to drop simply because patient retention is a lot easier with plans that pay better. They pay higher. Um, they have a decent out-of-network coverage for the patient. They accept assignment of benefit where you can still bill them and collect money from them and also obtain EOBs for reconciling these accounts. Um, but but yeah, those the MetLife's of the world is, are, are the plans that I would test the waters with to determine, you know, or at least train yourself and your team on how to transition to out of network. But there are more plans than MetLife. But I bring up MetLife because that's the most popular plan that any of our clients have been dropping over the last five years because of the reasons that I mentioned. I see. Ben, thank you so much for your time with us today on this important topic. And uh there may be somebody that's listening that would have some questions that would want to reach you. Could you please share your contact information? Absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity, Bob. My, our office number is 888-808-4513. And then you can also email me at ben at veritasdentalresources.com. Veritas is spelled V as in Victor, E-R-I-T-A-S. So ben at veritasdentalresources.com. Dot com.